Well, praise the Lord, everybody. So glad you joined us here tonight. We are excited to enter into another Bible study lesson to share with you. Join me in prayer as we begin tonight. God, we bless your name. Take this word as we will offer it. Use it for your glory. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us on our journey so that we may live our lives to the fullest. And we thank you for that Zoe, that abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to continue a lesson that we have been working on uh, called Living Faith in Stressful Times. This is part 29 of that series, Living Faith in Stressful Times. And uh, I want to continue it, and uh, this is the series I'll end the year with it, and uh, a few weeks we'll close out and, uh, with this series. But I want to deal with this again because we have a number of of issues that come up in the life of the children of Israel as they are being formed by God that help us to work through our own lives and the stressfulness of the days in which we live in. And so it gives us a great place to balance it off at and to work through it. And so let's look at it again. We, we pick up the story in the end of chapter 46, the beginning of chapter 47, and what you remember in chapter 46, the children of Israel are making their journey uh, from where they are in the land of Canaan towards the land of the Egyptians. And as they are making this move, you have to recognize the emotional toll that it must have taken upon them, the stress that it must have taken. Uh, any person who's ever had to make a move from one place to another, I don't care if you were just moving from one dorm room to another, it's stressful. I, I remember being at a hotel one time and we were in, I think, Memphis, Tennessee with our family and we, had to, we changed hotel rooms within the same hotel, but because we had kind of gotten settled for the week and then we needed to change rooms to another spot that was more comfortable, or at least was going to be where we uh, camped the rest of the week, just packing up all the kids' stuff and getting our stuff together and moving. It, it was you know, just, it's, every move is stressful. Every time you get ready to do something. And you can only imagine as they have the upheaval of taking their entire lives with them, everything they own, the, all of their animals, all of their livestock, everything is going with them, and they are moving to the land of Egypt and they don't have a, a rail system. There's no jet plane. Um, you know, they can't sing that song, leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I'll be back again. No, no, no. There's no jet plane. They are walking. They are, they are pack muling, if you will. They are riding on donkeys. They are in, 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 in wagons. They are making the journey. Now, some will say, well, if you're in a wagon, it must be easier. Well, you must have never ridden in a wagon because you're riding in wagons across the places that are not necessarily roads. So you are making pathways as you're going, and it's a bumpy ride, and you're jiggling all around, and all of your stuff is jiggling, and the clay pots are probably breaking. You realize that and put it in context then you will recognize that their world was turned upside down. Their world was turned upside down. That's just the reality of it. Their world is turned upside down. They're struggling now. With an upside down world, they're trying to make sense of their lives. In, in, in that situation, when your world is turned upside down, you can't help but be under some form of duress. And, and the truth is that their entire lives were disrupted. Whatever routines they had, whatever time they were used to getting up and working out or going into the field or taking care of the animals or watering or whatever, all of that is out the window because they're in the midst of this move. Unfortunately, 
disruptions are normal. Unfortunately, disruptions are normal. Now I want to pause there because you need to recognize that you have to get used to in life things not going according to plan. Things not happening the way you want it to happen. So it's a disruption. We're in Genesis 46 and Genesis 47. It's a disruption. And because things are, are disrupted and they're not normal, you, there's some angst and anxiety that goes on. You've got to learn how to be cool in your mind, how to deal with the disruptions, how not to be thrown off, how not to be angered by them, how not to let them ruin your day. Take life as it comes. Sometimes things go easy, sometimes they don't. It's the way in which we live. Sometimes you go through a whole day and you get everything done you planned, and sometimes you go through a whole day, a list of 10, you only get half of it done. Disruptions are normal. I can only imagine that their bodies were drained from traveling the distance. You know, they, they're weary now. They made it to Egypt. By the time we get to the end of 46, they made it to Egypt. They get there in Egypt and they're drained. They're, tra they're, they're just wearied out. They haven't set up camp yet. They're drained. And, and let's try to just for a moment get into the psychological aspect of this situation because you have to remember for them, Egypt has been a place that they've been told to stay away from. They've been, they've been, they've been told that this is a dangerous place for you. And now they are in the dangerous place. They're in the place where they've been told to avoid. And I can only imagine, this is my sanctified Holy Ghost filled imagination, their spirits were dismayed and dizzied by the unfamiliar, unsettledness of this formerly unsafe land. Let me do it again. Their spirits were dismayed and dizzied, meaning they're going in circles, or we just don't know what's going to happen next, by the unfamiliar unsettledness of this formerly unsafe land. Now, now, if you've ever camped out, you know that they've just arrived. They have not gone to their place of abode. No one has picked the spot out for a campsite. So they're kind of just waiting to find out what the next move is going to be. And, and, and so they still have work ahead of them to bed down even for the single night, much less for the, for the duration of their stay there. And while their spirits are dismayed and dizzied by the unfamiliar unsettledness of this former, formerly unsafe land, yet they are experiencing new hope in the midst of it all. Get this tension, this dialectical tension I'm working on right here. I just said they're dismayed. I just said they've been dizzied. I just said they're in the unfamiliar. I said it's unsettled. I said this is an unsafe land. And yet they're experiencing new hope. Why are they experiencing new hope? They're experiencing new hope because where they were was a, was a famine. Where they were, they had run out of supplies. The food was gone. But they knew that where they were going, there was plenty. They knew where they were going, they had somebody there that would help to care for them, who was in a position of authority to make room and space for their lives and their livelihoods. They are tossed by their emotions. Now, now listen to me closely because you can, this is going to be the part that's going to bless somebody right now. You need to realize that there's nothing wrong with you. That you have at the core of your mind and your center a complexity of emotions. So you must get it in your spirit 
to never be unnerved by the complexity of emotions. Never be unnerved by the complexity of emotions. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes you you are you you're going one way, going another way. Sometimes you're crying, sometimes you're not, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, and and that complexity in and of itself is unnerving. Is there something wrong with me? There, there are times when life will cause you to question your emotional stability as you process conflicting thoughts. I need to breathe on that. I need to hold that tight. There are times when life will cause you to question your very emotional stability as you process conflicting thoughts. That, 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 is, that is just life. That is life. Sometimes when I'm thinking, if I go this way, all this bad is going to happen. Go this way, this could happen. If I go this way, this could happen. If I go this way, something good will happen. And I'm, I'm going back and forth, and I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost experiencing the emotions of the negative, even though it has not happened. I'm almost experiencing the emotions of the positive, even though it has not occurred. I'm living in both the fantasy of the positive, and I'm living in the H-E double hockey sticks of the negative at the same time. You need to realize, built into your very fiber of your being and your mental capacity, built into you, is an emotional elasticity. And emotional elasticity is normal. In other words, you have some emotional flexibility. You can handle this. You can handle this. You can handle this position. You can handle what you're going through. It's built into you. You, 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 you must realize that, that we're constantly being pulled. We're always being pulled. We're always being pulled. Some of you feel that pull on your lives right now. You feel that, that pull. You, you feel the pull. Uh, you're, you're, you're being pulled here and pulled there. And sometimes you're being pulled into other folks' mess. You're being pulled into other folks' situations. Somebody wants you to work on this or fix this or do that or go here or be there or be there. We're being pulled. Your job is pulling you one way. Your family's pulling you another way. Your children are pulling you another way. This is pulling on. That's pulling on. We are constantly being pulled. But we are also constantly being emotionally pulled. Watch this now. We're pulled into joy while being gripped by sorrow. We're pulled into joy while being gripped by sorrow. That's just one example. I, I'll give it to you if you will. You could be in the midst of grieving and then all of a sudden someone tell a story about someone you love that just makes you laugh and gives you joy. You're being pulled into joy even while being gripped by sorrow. Pulled into joy while being gripped by sorrow. Every, everybody's pulled. You, you, and and this, 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 this emotional issue of conflicting thoughts that I have just elucidated just now can best be seen in Jesus. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer that is prayed so, so, so vociferously that it, it, it's given with such gusto and power that sweat is coming off of him as though he is hemorrhaging blood, sweat dropping like rivulets of blood, the old King James describes it as. He's praying hard, Father, be thy will. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. He's, he's in the midst of it. I don't, I don't think there's any fear of him of death. It is more the separation that he must endure from God for the moments that are there of the dying process. There's something going on. 
and that emotional pull is there. He is tugging between the earthness of his sonship to his mother Mary, and he's tugging between that and the fatherhood of God. He's being pulled. Pulled by a duty and a calling. It's the same pull that pulled him from his family as a little boy to leave them and go and talk with the elders. It's the same pull that pulled him away from the family business and into the ministry of bringing fishermen out and into discipleship. And do, he's been pulled. And we all are pulled. And it is something how the resolve and resiliency that Jesus displays after that tear-filled time of prayer. He comes out of his prayer moment with a resiliency and a resolve and says, okay, it's time. As though he had not even been in that emotional wrestling. As though he's not even been in that emotional crisis, if you will. As though he has not been torn apart by himself while others slept. As though he were not before God weeping on his knees. As though he were not before God just hollering and crying before God about the next move. He's up, he's resolved, he's resilient, he's restored and he says, okay, let's go do this. There is some power that God has given us and God sharpens it and increases it and gives us a stability through our, our time of prayer, which is why I began the section last week with the worship that preceded the move. Four things that this text teaches us, four things these texts teach us, and we're going to use this, the verses now, four things these texts, this text, these text teaches us. The first of which is interesting because read with me and we'll, we'll get into it uh, here. Uh, it, it is verse 28 from chapter 46 of Genesis. I'll be reading the amplified version. It says, now Jacob Israel sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to direct him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. As soon as he presented himself before him, authenticating his identity, he fell on his father's neck and wept on his neck a very long time. I want to put this to you. Reunions can be burdensome or blissful. Reunions can be burdensome, and I should say, and blissful. Reunions. This reunion is, is both. It is, it, is, it is blissful on one hand, but it is burdensome in the fact that you get to spend this moment reflecting on time missed. The time that he had been in Egypt, how many of his father's birthdays had he missed? Of the 130 years that his father had lived, how many birthdays, how many celebrations had gone on without him? How many times did he miss being in his presence? How many times did he miss family gatherings? All of which... It comes out in the reunion when he weeps on his daddy's neck. He, he, he goes to his father. The, the Amplified helps us with this authenticating his identity because he doesn't look like his son. He looks like an Egyptian. He probably has that hip-hop song or popular song say he probably walks like an Egyptian. He goes to his father. He's weeping. Once he's identified himself, he grabs his father's neck and he begins to cry. He begins to cry. I believe those are tears of, of both joy and sorrow. And, and it is the, the reality of life. That life can make joy and sorrow come together simultaneously. Look at what his father says. Verse 30, his father speaks and says, 
And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die in peace. Another way of putting it is, I can die now. I'm good now. I can die in peace now. I was going to die with a heavy heart, but now I have peace now. Since I have seen your face, and I know that you are still alive. I can die in peace. I, I, I've seen you. I know you're alive. I know, I know that there's something going on here. I've seen your face. And bless the name of God. My boy lives. You're alive. That, 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 that emotion. You know, I tell you, nothing, nothing can draw the raw out of you like family. Nothing can draw the raw out of you like family. Yeah, yeah, other things can happen, but family can draw the rawness out of the depths of your soul. Yeah, yes, the reunions can be burdensome and blissful life. The second thing I want the, the, in these texts, and we're still in chapter 46. We're going to get to 47 in a moment. Chapter 46. There's a strange dialogue here. Now, now let's look at ver beginning at verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have bought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall be that when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers before us in order that you may live separately and securely in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is repulsive to the Egyptians. Second lesson out of this text is this. And you need to get this lesson. Rejection can be a precursor to a blessing. Rejection can be a precursor to a blessing. Now, now this is important. It's important you understand this, this part of the story because the Egyptians have a problem with shepherds. They've got a problem with, with those that tend to livestock. They, they, they see them as repulsive. So Joseph utilized his knowledge of Egyptian culture to his advantage. This is powerful here. Now, now I know that they don't like shepherds. I know they don't like live, people that work with livestock. I know they don't like herdsmen at all. And I need you to say right away that that's what we do. Because our knowledge of their culture is going to work to our advantage. We're going to work with what their biases are and it's going to work to our advantage. Let me help you again. Don't ever be upset by what someone else's philosophy in life is or the way they do it or how they do you have to see how can that work to my good watch this the prejudice and or bias against husbandry that's the tending of livestock was advantageous in creating nation building untouched by the surrounding community untouched by the surrounding community. Now remember now, Joseph has already pointed them to Goshen. Joseph has already sent them that way. He's not allowed them to go into the main cities of Egypt. He's already sent them to Goshen. He wants them to have Goshen, 
but it will not be until the Pharaoh says it that it's really theirs. Joseph has planted the seed in the Pharaoh to give them that land, but he, it will not be until the Pharaoh speaks it that it's there. But he's positioned them to be in the place where they need to be in order to get the blessing that they need to have. Stay with me a minute. Sometimes you need to get in position even when the position is not yet ready so that when the position is ready for you, you can step into your place. It might not be comfortable when you're in the position on the outside looking in. You can touch it. You can be around it. You can be close to it. But sometimes you have to get in position before the position is ready. I, I've got some people right now online and in person who have lived this experience. You get in position even when the position is not ready so that when the position is ready, you can move into the place where God wants you to be at. Ah. Learn this lesson, learn this lesson, learn this lesson. Get this, get this word here, saints. Survival in stressful times depends upon the use of knowledge as a tool. Survival depends upon the use of knowledge as a tool. You know, some things you, 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 you know and you never use. Some, some of you are, are extremely brilliant, smart, bright, when you've got knowledge, but you don't use it as a tool. Knowing is not enough. Knowing what to do with it is the trick, is the key. It's the key, it's the, it's the wisdom of what to do with the knowledge that you have and you use knowledge as a tool. You know, uh, that, that, that's when you're moving in a whole new direction. Uh, you, you know, if you ever watched The Wolf of Wall Street and some of those Wall Street things, you know, those persons there, they can get a, a tip that there's going to be a, 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 a strike. And they know just that tip they can short sell stock. They can buy more of a stock because they just got a big shipment in and all the product that they need is available to make this particular product. That knowledge becomes a tool to them. And, they, and, the, and the FCC knows about it. The, the, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC I think it is, they know about it and they know about it to the point where they, they're careful to keep people from doing insider trading because they know how powerful knowledge is. Knowledge is a tool. Listen, their prejudice-based rejection was permitted not as a burden, but a benefit of separation. Okay? They, they, they are prejudiced against them. Yes, they are. And, and it's, it's done that way with the, with the permission of God because God wants them separated. Sometimes God doesn't want everybody around you. God doesn't want you to be in everybody's space. God doesn't want you to be in everybody's space. Sometimes you, you need to be in a place where you can do your thing. Now, now it, it's important you see that already on the screen, and I'll, I'll say it again. There were, there were, there were, there were uh, an A, B, and C under the, this is this. By being there, they were in the area that gave them separation. But that area was also the best pasture land, meaning the best fields to graze their flocks. So they were in an area that was isolated enough that they could have a separate community, but it was also an area that was plush enough so that they could be in a position to take care of their flocks. They were in a place where they could have their own living agenda. By that I mean they did not have to live by the principles and rules of the persons in whose country they were dwelling. They could eat the food that they had been taught to eat. They could live the way they had been taught to live. They were not going to live as Egyptians, but they were going to live as Jews, if you will in the Egyptian country. In other words, they would be able to hold their own agenda in the midst of it all. And by so doing, they were able to have their ancestry 
within the confines of the population as they were there. Let me help somebody here. Sometimes what others may think they did for evil or what others may have done out of prejudice or rejection from one may not be as bad as you think. It may be your greatest blessing. I know I've got a woman out there who will testify. You don't have to testify online right now. But you know there's a relationship that God broke up for you and you look back on it now and you see the way that joker looked and you see what, what, what he has not done and you say to yourself, well, thank you, Jesus, you got me away from that fool. There, there's some man right now saying, oh, God, thank you for not letting me get that job. Thank you for, oh, Lord, I, 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 I didn't have enough sense to run. I'm so glad she kicked me to the curb. There's sometimes a rejection is not the worst thing. I've seen people get rejected from jobs and positions and end up better off because they got buyouts. And then all of a sudden, years down the road, the company went belly up, but they already had their buyout. And they were wealthy and doing fine, and the company was going under. You got to understand, all rejection is not bad. Sometimes God will allow people, yes, allow, suffer to be so. For your good, for you to be separated. Okay, let me, I got to rush, I got to rush, I got to get done early. Listen, number three, number three. Responses can be pivoted toward bountifulness. Responses can be pivoted toward bountifulness. In other words, when you speak, you need to speak with wisdom and you need to know when you're talking something good can happen from what you are saying something good can happen something good can take place because of what's coming out of your mouth let's go to now we're going to go over to chapter 47 right now let's look at verses 1 through 6 then Joseph came and told Pharaoh my father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all that they own have come to go from the land of Canaan, and they are in the land of Goshen. He says, I, I put them over there. I sent them over there. Now, this is hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. He took five men from his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Notice he only took five. Now, there were 12 of them, and he's, he's got, he's, he only takes five of his brothers he said, I'm just going to take a few of y'all with me. I don't need everybody with me right now. They, 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 no matter how many of y'all we have, of course, we know we lost some people along the way. I won't go into all that. But, but out of all the brothers that are alive, he only takes a piece of them. Why? Because he does not want them to think that they're coming in with any nation building to overwhelm Egypt, to do anything untoward to Egypt. So he comes in humble, with just enough to say, these are those that came with me. These are my family, him, him, him my family. Verse three, and Pharaoh said to his brothers, as Joseph expected, now Joseph already set it up, so Pharaoh now asked the question Joseph already told him was coming. What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers before us. Moreover, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to live... Now notice they said, we've come to live temporarily. Sojourn in the land of Egypt. For there is no pasture for the flocks of your servants in our land. For famine is very severe in Canaan. Now notice what they throw in. So now please. They turn the car. He asked, what is your occupation? They finished telling him their occupation when they got to the fact that they were, the land that was in, was in famine. Now they say, here's, here's our request. They turn, they pivot from his question into their need. They pivot into it. They are wise enough to step into it. Listen now. So please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to, to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of land. He knows 
He understands that where they're going is, is a wealthy place. He understands it's the best land. But he also understands he doesn't want those animals running around Egypt. He doesn't want that livestock because they think it's repulsive. So he says, let them dwell in the land there. But don't, fool, don't think you're fooling me. I know it's the best land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any men of ability among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now, I want to I wanna kind of ABC off of this lesson here, this pivoting, because this is an important point to make and to draw on tonight. Because these boys, now these are the same brothers that sold their brother into slavery, same brothers that have, that have lied to their daddy that he was dead, same brothers that went through all of the rigmarole with Joseph when they came to Egypt. And they're nervous, they're scared. But when Joseph spoke to them of what to do, they not only did it, but they stood in agreement with him in order to do it. Now, get this, saints. Understanding the power of agreement is vital in receiving divine provision. Understanding the power of agreement is vital in receiving divine provision. God had provided for them a place. God had provided for them a plan. God had provided for them purpose in the land. And of the provisions that divine providence has put before them, they needed to speak in agreement with one voice when they went to Pharaoh. And they did so not understanding what Joseph had said, but they did so because it was wise. Listen, while they hadn't seen each other in years, the five recognized the viability of Joseph's instruction and acted accordingly. You, you got to learn to be wise. You got to learn to be wise. You got to learn to be wise. And you got to learn that, that, that there are times when wisdom would dictate, we need to come together. I don't care what separated us before. I, I may not be comfortable with this situation, but we need to come together. Families need to realize, I, let, me talk, let me talk. I don't care if you and your siblings haven't talked in months. Families need to realize that a part of your provision, a part of what God has for your blessing is in coming together in the power of agreement and it's in doing things together. It's in pulling together. That brings together what God wants to do in providing and causing the, the increase to come that one wants. The bountifulness that God wanted to give came partially as a result of these young men standing in agreement with their long lost brother. All right. I'm going to give you this last point. I'm going to close out tonight. I, I got, I've, got to get, I've got to get done. I'm going to pull this in. I'm going to pull this in. This one I'm going to, I want to linger just a moment because this is important that you get this. Egyptians have nothing to do with shepherds or persons involved in husbandry. First bit of bias, prejudice around. Jacob has already been told, don't go to Egypt. He's learned that lesson. God is now sending him there. He's there. There's nothing between these guys, the Pharaoh or between Jacob, that would be where they would be cut buddies. They're not going to go to the local tavern and kick one back and have a good laugh. No, they're not going to do that. They're not friends. They're not that kind of, it's not that relationship. But watch this. What we have here is something very important. Watch this, verse seven, verse seven. After the brothers have spoken, and after Pharaoh has spoken, then Joseph bought Jacob, that is Israel, his father, and presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, and they have not reached 
the full the years that my fathers lived during the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and departed from his presence. Stop, full stop, stay right there. Get this, saints. Respect can be a pathway to befriending. Respect can be a pathway to befriending. Jacob gave deference and blessed Pharaoh. Say it again. This is number four. This is point number four. Respect can be a pathway to befriending. Now, why is that important? You've got to understand that while they may not have had any reason to have a great relationship, there is a respect that needs to take place. The only reason Pharaoh would say, how old are you, is he can look at him and say, you're much older than I am. And he can say, yeah, I'm an old man. I've been here 130 years. And not all my days have been good. I've had some good days. And I've had some bad days. I've had some rough times. Everything hasn't been easy in my life. Everything hasn't been peachy green. But he offers his respect to Pharaoh and he bows and, and blesses Pharaoh both upon his entrance and his departure. Let me, let me do it again. Let me do this. Verse 11 says, so Joseph settled his father and brothers and gave them a possession in Egypt. I'm in, I'm in Genesis 47 verse 11. And in the best of the land, and in the land of Ramesses, that is Goshen, as Pharaoh commanded, Joseph provided and supplied his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the need of their children. Respect. Get this, saints. Mutually beneficial relationships are dependent upon respect, not love. Full stop. Some of you are trying to find love in relationships that ought to only remain at the respect level. And some of you are trying to get respect from people that you really ought not be in relationship with anyway. You need to understand God put some people in your life for a season and a reason and you need to respect them and the, re the relationship in its beneficial efforts during that season. You need to understand what that reason is for, what's going on in that relationship. You've got to look at people and understand, why is this person in my life? What's going on with this relationship? How should this be? You know, I've seen women marry men they respect, but they didn't love. Well, that's cute. That's cute. It it's mutually beneficial. But let me tell you something. There's a point at which the mutual beneficialness of the relationship will wane when there's nothing that's holding you together internally. Okay, stay with me. But there are mutually beneficial relationships that are a blessing that are simply dependent upon respect. I'll give you a few of them. I know some of you are listening at me right now. You're like, this is something else. I, where, where is this going? Let me, let me give it to you. When you have a relationship with a car dealer, you have a relationship of respect. I'm not talking about our, we've got car dealers here in this church and I love them, but Brother Mitchell, I'm not talking about you, Brother <laughs> But I'm talking about car dealers in general. You, you, you have a relationship with a car dealer, it's a relationship of respect. You respect him, he respects you. And if you don't have respect from the dealer, if the dealer looks down at you, if the dealer treats you like you're poor and broke and you can't afford my car, then you walk away from that dealer. You don't want to deal with a car dealer that thinks he's better than you or that, or that you are not worthy of his vehicle or her vehicle. You want that car dealer to understand you deserve the respect you're due. This is a transaction. And because they respect you, they will give you the price that they really should give you instead of giving you the price that they would give to somebody they didn't respect. See, there's no, no, no uh, account for the fact that sometimes people will send other folks in to negotiate for them. 
because they know they don't get the respect when they walk in. And so the, the price can be a thousand and even five and ten thousand dollars higher because they don't think they did their homework and they don't respect them enough. You know, look, respect can you help with a mutually beneficial relationship. Car dealers, I, I, um, you know, I like, I like Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin said, what we need is a little bit of respect. Yeah, Aretha Wright, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me, respect. And, and, and you need to realize how powerful respect is. Um, my, my chairman or deacon board who's sitting with me right now will tell you that I respect him as much as I appreciate and love him as a chair and, a, and I believe in him as an anointed man of God, a prayer warrior full of the Holy Ghost. But, but that's good to believe in those things. But if I didn't give him respect, then what am I, what am I doing? If I want it, I ought to give it. I, I, I want to, you, you know, going over somebody's head. When people respect you, they also respect your opinion. They respect what you think. They respect where you're coming from. They want to have dialogue with you. They want to know your mind. Listen, let me give you a couple more relationships that require respect and not love. Doctors. You don't have to love your doctor. If he's the best surgeon to do your surgery, you don't have to love him. You need to be able to respect his or her ability. Because if doc can't do the work, you don't want doc operating on you. I don't, I don't care if you love your lawyer. If your lawyer is not a good lawyer, you let your lawyer stay where he or she is at and get one you can see. I'm preaching here. Because what you need is somebody you respect and someone who can do the work. It's not about love. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that, that there have been many a lawyer that didn't really like their client, much less love them. But they were able to secure their client a verdict that was beneficial to them. I want to let you understand. It is respect that is what is needed. Respect. And so in these texts that we have looked at, the overarching thing is that they learned how to respect the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh gave in return the respect he was getting. If, 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 if Jacob walks up in there like I'm the great I am, don't you know God's already spoken to me? And out of through me, the whole world's going to be blessed. I'm, I'm greater than the Pharaoh and just as great. Do you know that it would have been a whole different kind of relationship? You have to realize a part of your life is learning that respect given and respect earned will bring you a long ways, even more than when you seek to press people in another aspect. Well, saints, I've got to go tonight. I've got, I want to tell you this has been a great time of study. I, I'm, we were talking about how to live our faith in stressful times. And uh, this is just another word I want to just drop on you. I'm going to pick it up right after verse 11 when we come back again next week. i got a whole lot more teaching in me. You know that. We're going to have a great time. Amen. Your rights kind of treat people where you want to be treated. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's the, the golden rule. Amen. You have to learn how to do that. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I want to just tell you, if you're listening to us tonight and you, this word has affected you in any way and you say, hey, I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a partner with them in ministry. Partner with us. Join us. You can become an I member of Shiloh anytime. Just email us, call us, text us. Our information is on the screen. Just join in with us and become a part. You can see the number there, 860-443-6046. This is Shiloh in New London. But you can be anywhere in the world and be a partner with us here for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bless God for each of you joining us tonight. I want to invite you to give. The nice offering is given benevolently. Whatever you give, we give back into the community. And I invite you to join us in giving tonight. Give as unto the Lord. Again, I tell you, it goes into the diaconate ministry to do great work. And there are three ways to give. You can give by Giveify, by mail, or by cash app. 
and uh, by now many of the saints already have it in your your uh, devices give is unto the Lord and God's gonna bless you greatly thank you God bless you this has been a wonderful night let me just again thank all of you for your support and prayers for my wife during her the loss of her brother Michael uh, this has been a very difficult season and I know my wife has sent out to each of you a uh, a note and um, I just want to just tell you how much she appreciates the love that you have shown her and the respect and the gifts of your kindness I hopefully yeah it's there on the board there brother Michael was a great brother man that's my brother-in-law and what a friendly dude I just want to tell you uh, it, it, in case you can't read it it just simply says on behalf of the Reeves family we would like to thank each of you for your genuine love and support during this very difficult time of loss. Michael was a beautiful human being, a man of his word, son, brother, husband, father, uncle, brother-in-law, and so much more who loved unconditionally. Words will never be able to capture how much your prayers, cards, gifts, meals, phone calls, text messages, emails, visits, virtual hugs, gleamed uh, a bright light in our dim broken hearts you are cherished and greatly appreciated although the homegoing services are private i will hold each of you in my heart as we bring to a close my brother's life here on earth and that's love lady cynthia watts a proud sister so god bless you i wanted to just make sure i mentioned that as i close tonight and uh, I'm going to miss Michael. Michael was just a good brother-in-law, a good, good man, and he's just a wonderful guy. And uh, we're all going to miss him greatly. And I ask continued prayers for his parents, for his siblings, and for his children, and for all of the nieces, nephews, and friends that are around who all have experienced this great loss. Thank you so much, saints. This has been a good night. I praise God for each of you. I'm praying for those of you who have had surgeries, who have been going through. I, I know Elder Varner is still recovering, and I'm praying for her. Brother Glenn Meems still praying for him. And our Brother Gillespie, who I was grateful to see in church on Sunday, and I'm praying for him. And I'm praying for each one of you and for your households. And I want you to know from our house to your house, we love you and we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Deacon S. Medina, for those words there. We love you and we appreciate each one of you and we appreciate your love. This has been another one from Shiloh. This has been another one for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what we always do at the close of our worship? We always speak the peace of God over each one of you. Glad you joined us. Guess what, y'all? You can go in peace and the peace of God go with you. Shalom.